0: The referendum is October 14, misogyny tars football and infects young men, inflation slows, and good news about wind-powered ships. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host Ben Davison, and joining me, as always, is the great and the glorious, the super smash star of the Sydney... Uh, Playwrights Festival.
1: <laughs> to be fair, there were quite a few stars there.
0: My wife, your friend, a best-selling author of QAnon, oh, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults. Van Battam, how are you, Van?
1: Oh, I'm all right. I'm pretty tired. Uh, we do apologize for this podcast being out late, but my flight back from Sydney was quite delayed and I'm a bit sleepy, <laughs> although I am wearing my green velvet power track
0: suit. And the dog is asleep on your lap.
1: We're all a bit sleepy at this end, but we should be lovely. Yeah, it the edges be nice. have been taken off us by sheer exhaustion.
0: Indeed. <laughs> Look, Van, it's been a big, big day in uh, Australian polit- political life. We are going to have a referendum on October 14, the first referendum uh, of this millennia, uh, and of course, it is. Not without controversy. We, you and I, both publicly committed to voting yes. Uh, Albanese was in uh, uh, South Australia today. Where they already have a voice. Where they already have a voice. And, of course, you can hear us discuss with Kaya Ma, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs and Attorney General of South Australia, on an earlier episode. Uh, But, Van, I did have the good fortune of being able to watch the entire launch of the referendum. Uh, There were two welcomes to country from Uncle uh, Mugi Sumner uh, and from Jakira Telfer, a young Indigenous woman. Uh, One of the lines that uh, Jakira had was that uh, the meeting was taking place on the land of the red kangaroo, uh, and that kangaroos always go forwards, never backwards. This was a line that actually Albanese picked up later on in his speech. It's a pretty extraordinary thing that we're about to go through, isn't it?
1: Oh, it is. And it's an incredible opportunity. Like, it's hard not to get emotional talking about the voice because it represents a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to go forward and I think Albanese got the messaging very clear today about a decision to go forward I don't think there's any Australian I can't imagine the level of seclusion and willful denial you'd have you'd have to be in to insist that there's anything like equality between black and white Australia because we know there isn't. And all of these years of closing the gap assessments and reports have shown us that health outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians are not as good as outcomes for white Australians. Mm. We know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians have pay gaps. We know that they have community service gaps. We know that they're more likely to experience harassment by police more Likely to die in custody, more likely, and this is—I mean, it, this one statistic is so terrifying that more uh, First Nations men die than receive their superannuation payouts.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty shocking. It's a pretty shocking uh, statistic. It's pretty sh- shocking reality that that's the case. I mean, you, you say. You'd have to be totally disconnected from reality to to believe that there was uh, equality uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Yet the the no campaign has, of course, responded to the launch of the referendum date, October 14th, by the way. I'm not sure if I mentioned that already. But October 14th, uh, it'll be at all the polling places you would normally go. Uh, there'll be an opportunity for postal votes. There's some mechanical things there. You've got to write yes or no in the box. Um But, of course, the No campaign, as we've talked about before on the show, has really tried to muddy the waters. And I have to say, Van, the the response from Warren Mundine, who stood up with Michaelia Cash and Jacinta Price today, was just – it was was genuinely unhinged. I mean, this is on the back of the CPAC conference, uh, him standing up, And, and basically saying that the yes campaign is racist, that Anthony Albanese is racist, uh, and that, and that they were going to break the referendum, uh, in order to stop division in the, in the community. Yet, as Elbo said in his speech, more than 80% 80% of Aboriginal and Torres people want the voice. This- and there was
1: a democratic process that got us this far. You no, know, there was a convention. There was community consultation. There were representatives selected by communities that went to Uluru that formulated this statement. And of, what was it, 280 people who were present, only seven walked out. One of them was little. Yeah. And like that's their resounding Majorities. Let's remember in this country, if you won 58% of the vote in the Senate, you win every single senator. Like Democratic majorities are compelling, Mm. and we have never seen anything like the support within the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander
0: communities for the voice model. Well, Megan Davis made the point in in the launch. She said that, and I quote, we know that 80% of our people support the voice. We also know that those that don't get 80% of the media coverage. Um, this is Professor Dr. Megan Davis.
1: Absolutely extraordinary Australian, yeah. Uh,
0: you know, and quite frankly, I think uh, there has been a bit of a, uh, ebb and flow in terms of public polling. Uh, you and I have done some handing out, uh, and there was a surprisingly large number of people who hadn't really even engaged with the referendum. Today is obviously the starting gun. I think it was described by Elbow that this process has been a marathon for our First Nations people uh, and for Indigenous uh, people, but that now is the sprint to October 14, and it's up to all of us to make that sprint happen. Uh, I know, too, that the union movement has just swung into action. Uh, I don't know about you, Van, but I got a I got a phone call today, uh, tonight, actually, just as we were waiting for your plane to arrive, uh, hooking me into a Teletown Hall. I know thousands of people around the country uh, have been hooked into that. Um, Sally McManus, the leader of the trade union movement, uh, has really connected this to the struggles of trade unionism as well. Uh, We know that And this is what she says. We know we get better outcomes in the workplace when bosses listen to workers. Just as we know doctors get better outcomes when they listen to patients, it stands to reason then that policymakers listening to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's voice on issues that impact their lives will also lead to better outcomes. The union movement has listened to its membership who are keen to walk with their Indigenous colleagues and will be supporting members to campaign on this issue. Now, if you're not a union member and you feel strongly about this, you should join. Because undoubtedly there might be some people who uh, who do see the No campaign and are drawn to that. So it's really important that yes, people are in their union. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow to join your union. You can also get involved in the campaign, yes23.org.au. Uh, we'll get you, uh, and, and then you can follow the prompts from there. But, you know, this is really... Crossing party lines, uh, we've seen corporations get on board, sporting clubs get on board. The crossing of the party
1: lines is really interesting because I think it's well known that the, the Prime Minister's wish was that there would be bipartisan support for The Voice. Because remember, the Uluru Statement from the Heart came out during the Prime Ministership of Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah like a period of conservative government and that process was supported by the government and took place. And, of course, Turnbull didn't have the support within his own caucus to get us to this point. Yeah. But you would think on the basis of the election result where the Liberals lost so many seeds to the teals because those communities did not think, you know, socially progressive if economically conservative communities wanting proactive like wanting, you know, pro-action on issues of social fairness, you would think that the Liberal Party would be like, well, yeah, the paradigm has changed and obviously we want to get our voters in Kuyong and Higgins and Curtin back. Uh, We will Mm. agree to this in a bipartisan way. and. You would think that that is what's happening, obviously, because of, you know, obviously the, the Gen Z millennial mm. voters are incredibly progressive. They are the strongest demographic group for supporting the yes vote across the population. Thank you, young people. Good eggs. But the Liberal Party made a different decision, which I think was quite surprising to a lot of people that Dutton was like, no, we'll be. Campaigning no, and we'll be making Jacinta Price a spokesperson of our position, mm. and Warren Mundine, obviously, failed Liberal candidate for Gilmore. Gilmore, and oh, you know,
0: I and Michaela Cash, and Cash. I mean, WA. I mean, who that, aspires to be Michaela Cash? I mean that that really uh, surprised me in a way. And look. You know, it is the point has been made today that you're not voting for a party or a person in this. There is this is about an idea, and the idea is very, very simple. Do you support um, constitutionally enshrining uh, a voice to parliament for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people? Um, The simple answer is yes, uh, we do. now, Michaelia Cash is from WA, obviously a state that the No campaign thinks they can win. Uh, Peter Dutton is from Queensland, a state which the No campaign is likely to win, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and their response to the, to the Prime Minister today was from Tasmania, a state where yes, is strongly ahead, but obviously one where they think maybe they can chip off a few votes. And this is the thing. It's easier for a no vote to win a referendum, if you like, or to, to kill because a referendum. Because yes
1: has to win a majority of votes in a majority of states. It's not just a popular vote. It's a state-by-state state vote. But, I mean, this is what's sort of interesting, is that also today while the, you know, the Liberals who are in Government were no, no, no. You had liberals, very popular liberals, who are no longer in government, out campaigning. You had some very interesting couples out yeah. on the out on the hustings today: Penny Wong and Julie Bishop. Yeah, handing out together. I saw Malcolm Turnbull. Who was Turnbull? Was he handing out? Plibersek. with Tanya Plibersek.
0: and, and Allegra Spender. Yeah, and, Alleg-
1: and Allegra Spender. Yeah, and you had uh, Bill Shorten and Adam Band. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's everyone, isn't it? Isn't that everyone? Like anybody beyond probably that, you know, the positions represented by those individuals is a loon. So, I mean, as I say, what do I say about the vote, darling? The worst people you know
0: are voting no. Oh, yes. And it's very true. I mean, even, uh, you know, people like Julian Lesser, who, of course, was the Shadow Attorney General until Peter Dutton decided that the Liberals would be campaigning for no, uh, has come out and said, of course, he'll continue to support uh, the yes campaign. I think Bridget Archer has said likewise. I mean, I'm no great fan of Kate Carnell, former Liberal First Minister of the ACT, as you know. You
1: really know. aren't. You are not. But
0: she was... In the audience, I saw the camera pan to her wearing a Liberals for Yes T-shirt. I mean, this this is an issue that should be above party politics. It and it, it boggles my mind because the the No campaign is seeming to run on this idea that the voice and that the referendum itself is divisive, uh, and that somehow or another, it's it's racist. And it really does seem to be appealing To to people
1: who believe that racism against white people is a thing. That's really what that messaging is about. That's messaging for people who watch Sky After Dark and explore all kinds of fascinating quarters of the internet where they're told that the most marginalised group in all humanity are white Zimbabwean farmers and, you know, those poor white people being driven from theoretically their land in South Africa. I mean, these it's very difficult, I think, for any kind of mainstream person Mm. to understand, and, you know, this is one of the things that happens in the United States with the Trumpists, the messages seem extremely weird to us because we're not consuming news within the right-wing ecosystem where they genuinely believe that racism against white people is a thing.
0: And, look, I think this is probably one of the reasons why the polling that came out today in South Australia showed that, the yes vote is actually in a really strong position, uh, both in terms of how many people are saying yes versus how many people are saying no, including when you then include undecideds who are, who are given a forced choice. Uh, and we know when you give people a forced choice, they revert to a slightly more conservative position. That's a pretty standard polling understanding. But even then, you're talking about a 52-48 in South Australia. And I think that that kind of as you say, that right-wing ecosystem messaging um, is starting to flounder a little bit in the broader conversation because while Warren Mundine uh, is obviously an Aboriginal man, uh, can stand up and say he has being the subject of racism, anyone who goes on any social media platform and says anything about the referendum, whether they're black, white, were born in Australia, born overseas, whether they're 18 or 84, if they – Suggest that the referendum should be a yes, or if they even suggest that it's something that should be discussed or debated, they get inundated with a torrent of abuse, often from what appear to be bot accounts, American accounts and Russian accounts, and and so this idea. I mean, I can I can tell you that with some authority. So I think increasingly the idea that somehow or another Warren Mundine who ran CPAC, which we discussed the other day, um, were
1: they actually platform speakers like Gary Johns who said things that were racist and racist towards Aboriginal people. I mean, that's why it's very important, you know, that that we, I, I mean, when I went to the Playwrights Festival on the weekend, I gave a speech about this because unlike a lot of playwrights, I get dogpiled on the internet. Every yeah. day, you know that's an experience that most working artists are very blessed to not to not know what that's like. And somebody was like, "Oh my god, you know, like how do you cope? Like people saying mean things to you all the time." And it's like the fundamental lesson of the internet is it looks like a democracy, but it isn't. Not all voices are equal. Jason bunch of numbers being extremely racist every five seconds is not actually a legitimate contributor to public debate. Mm. You know, some wackadoodle who believes whatever they see on Fox News and frames everything within some kind of stream of constant Judge Jeanine Pirro paranoia is not a person who's making an informed critique of political reality. And it is really, really important that people put Warren Mundane into that discourse. Like, it undoubtedly Warren Mundine has been subjected to racism over the course of his life. He yeah. is a black man in this country. We know that that racism exists, yeah. but that doesn't exonerate him from being a nincompoop on his, like, yeah. in, in his own behaviour, yeah. saying things that are untrue, saying things that are fanciful dare I suggest, vainglorious, a bit narcissistic and completely, utterly wrong. All of these are entirely fair things to say about Warren Mundane. I've been on panels with him where, frankly, I was sharing a desk but not reality, you know, and I can say that from personal experience. Yeah. And saying, oh, well, you know, he's got as much right to say what he likes, you know, within the boundaries of acceptable discourse in Australia, as anybody else. But he doesn't have a right to claim that he's speaking the truth because he's not. He's speaking baloney.
0: And and this is the thing that the the vast majority of uh, discourse in this country can be civil, uh, particularly when it's face to face, particularly when it's even when it's over the phone, uh, and. And yet, somehow or another, that the the people who are driving the no campaign are really determined that they are the victims. Because um, it's not just Warren Mundine, you know. It, it's also people like Michaela Cash, and and trying to play this idea out that somehow or another, you know, the the voice will be. Uh, it's back to, you know, the voice will steal your backyards. And you, I, see it, I see it in the comments of the week on Wednesday, which, you know, we hide and block and, and, and we block and ban people because they're living in a different reality.
1: Yeah, and because the, their views are not equal because they are not based in fact and or they're just extremely racist. In fact, doesn't, don't even come into it because they're just spewing by.
0: And Peter Malinowskis at the launch made the point that, you know, if our – if our, if our forebears could um, grant women the vote and the right to vote, uh, if we could acknowledge um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, as no longer being fauna, uh, you know, if we could actually say that uh, marbo and land rights were a real thing, then surely we can agree To have an advisory committee, Uh, and Elbo made the point too. This is an advisory committee, so all of this noise that goes on flight paths from the yeah,
1: they're going to change the flight paths. I've seen, I I saw it on Sky. They're coming for the flight paths.
0: Well, and it's been absolutely.
1: Just unhinged. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff I've seen on the internet, because obviously I keep my old QAnon Mm. networks alive, and it's just wackadoo land. It is. It's wackadoo. And if you're consuming that, and, I mean, I want people to understand how these kind of disinformation distortion fields work as well. Mm. So let's say you're from the demographic most likely to vote no, which is tragically the boomer demographic. I do not understand how people of the generation of Jimi Hendrix have decided in late life. To become extremely racist, I don't know why that's happened. I'm really hoping that's not going to be a majority. Some of the data in says that it's kind of touch and go. Disappointed, but say you consider yourself, you know, like maybe, maybe a little bit conservative, maybe even economically progressive, socially conservative. The world's changing a bit fast, and. Maybe you see things that absolute wackadoo racists post on the internet or conspiracy theorists of QAnon people or mm. any kind of your garden variety cook gnome. You see that stuff and you know, because you're not an entirely stupid person, mm. that it's wackadoo, right? Yeah. But the problem with the kind of extremist content you see on the internet is that content that you might see then on sky or in a speech by Warren Mundine looks centrist by comparison. Yeah. Like the Overton window has blown out so completely around what the the kind of discourses that people are exposed to that somebody saying for example like literally um, the voice to parliament is a new new world order. And I've seen
0: stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen like, this as well, yeah. You
1: know, it's a scheme by the new world order and Agenda 21 from the UN yeah. to get the black helicopters in to steal farmers. And
0: take control of our military. Yeah, take yeah, control yeah. of our military. Things are just not real.
1: Yeah, and drive farmers from our land so they can perpetuate the, the child sex ring run by the lizard people yeah. that will steal your children, okay? Like... If you are seeing that stuff all the time, then they're going to have ultimate authority over the flight paths, Mm. you know. Everything's going to have to go to a committee of Aboriginal and Torres Torres Strait Islander people to approve whether we can, you know, fertilise with... I don't know, sea soul or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. That is how that distortion field operates. So a lot of no voters think that they're very smart and too smart to engage with conspiracy theories. Kind of inclined to, you know, mm. perpetuate. Very quiet, passive sort of white hegemony and colonialist control of the apparatus of government and representation. Probably would never say that aloud in polite company, but might mm. be a bit predisposed to maintaining those particular power structures of unearned entitlement. But then get this messaging that ah oh, they're coming for the fly path. That's the one that just
0: absolutely. Undone. But it's not even the coming for the fly path. Well, Warren Mundine, or well, they what well, the kind of well, no it's campaign is saying. Divisive, it's, it's, it's divisive. That it's racist. That it's it's this kind of inversion to say that it's. <laughs> I can I can barely I can barely even say the words. But their argument is that it's racist to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the Constitution and to create a body for them, that that is, that is racially dividing the country. Now, my view would be that's acknowledging that there were people here before the colonial, uh, the colonists who created the Constitution, which became the Commonwealth of Australia, and that it's a important thing to acknowledge that those people existed and were real and their descendants are living with the intergenerational traumas and realities of the dispossession, the genocide, the systemic policy-based approach to eliminating them entirely from the face of the earth uh, and to say that was not the correct thing to do, it, with the hindsight of, of history and the lens that we can put on it and all the rest of the things you want the to say. The
1: genocide is bad. Wow, being
0: a communist. I know. The, the, but, but we can now say that the attempts to have a, uh, a reconciled Commonwealth of Australia are not working and, and the no campaign's response to that uh, it seems to be, well, we need to do an audit of how the money is spent. Um, and it's like, point to, if you can point to the corruption, then it gets stopped. That's the that's the country we live in. We now have an anti-corruption commission at a federal level. It's not a question of corruption. It's a question of efficacy. And one of the things The Voice will help us address is how effective the policies are. And Yet,
1: some- by having the actual communities who they're for speak to them, wow, crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not even a racial thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a, it's a, it's actually acknowledging that there were different cultures here before the Westminster driven culture that now governs this country and that we should acknowledge that and include that and find an accommodation for that within our system of government
1: and that we're- entirely capable of doing it because other countries that were in similar situations yeah. have been doing it for quite some time. Like Canada has not collapsed no. because it's recognised its Indigenous people. New Zealand is quite a prosperous place, having recognised its Indigenous people. I mean, and this is the examples that we keep. This What frustrates me is this insistence that Australia can only be one thing at a time. Yeah. And it's like, we're literally one of the most successful multicultural communities in the history of the world. We're fundamentally, it's an Australian value to go along, to get along. Yeah. You know, and that actually we're quite good at that. Our communities are very resilient and. This notion that you can't, that somehow, you know, I mean, I survived the Howard era barely. I mean, I did end up moving to another country for a while. Yeah. It, after seven years it, it did get a bit yeah. much, but I came back. But this Howard era notion of the black armband view of history, that if you dared to acknowledge a genocide took place here and that mm. babies were stolen from their families, which is pretty destructive mm. thing to do on, oh, absolutely every human level, Mm. cultural, social, political, domestic, all of it, like that somehow you didn't love your country or you weren't Australian. It's like, do you know you can love something and be critical of it at the same time? In fact, anybody who's married would be able to tell you that you can love someone and be critical of them at the same time.
0: Well, Van, you brought up John Howard and it raises another uh, former <sighs> prime minister because there, there is a lot of misuse of the imagery and the words and video of Bob Hawke that's going on. And, and I know I didn't put this in the brief, but you've raised uh, John Howard and, in fact, John Howard has referred to Bob Hawke. Like the
1: Witch of Endor, bringing a curse upon my people by saying his name. Yeah.
0: Well, he has referred to Bob Hawke and, and the No campaign has used uh, footage of Bob Hawke. Um, out of context, entirely out of context, where John Howard says that one of the things Bob Hawke uh, said was that in order to be an Australian, all you needed to do was to commit to being an Australian and it didn't matter where you were from. And the, and that's what the footage shows him saying. Um, and of course, what John Howard says is that it didn't matter whether you were... Um, whether you were Italian or Greek or Jewish or Anglican or Catholic, Course doesn't mention any countries in Asia or Africa. Well,
1: he? he did say in uh, 1995, John Howard quite famously did not want Asian immigration to Australia because he believed it was divisive. So this this video clip might have been earlier than 95, actually, but it was really famous at the time. Too divisive.
0: This video clip clearly is an attempt to hijack the legacy of a great Labor leader, uh, and I just have to dispel it straight out. There is and. An, It's doing the rounds on social media. And if you see it, I can tell you from personal first-hand knowledge that Bob Hawke would absolutely be campaigning on The Voice if he was alive today. Oh,
1: absolutely he would.
0: And he... Because he
1: expressed that... that, He saw that as the failing, and he spoke about Mm. this later in live, that he saw his his failing as Prime Minister was not closing the gap, was not finding the means by which he could deliver reconciliation to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. He
0: spoke about that. And the context for the quotes that are being taken out of context is that Bob Hawke was talking about new migrants coming to Australia. In fact, Bob Hawke was talking about the very people that John Howard himself tried to keep out of Australia, people from China and Vietnam and parts of Asia that John Howard, as you say, called too divisive. This is the kind of inversion Of reality that's going on in this referendum. And it's why it's so important that if you're listening to this podcast and and if you've been a long-time listener, you'll know that we always encourage you to get involved in things because these conversations are going to be happening. Some of them are going to be happening online, but we do need them to happen. At the Bowls Club. At the Bowls Club.
1: You know, and with the girls having coffee on a Saturday morning and, you know, when you're walking out of your yoga class and when you're standing with other commuters on the train station, like literally everywhere is where this conversation is taking place there is nothing to be afraid of about the voice it is a mechanism for going forward you know one of the reasons why i'm so committed to this campaign is what do people think will happen if no prevails because i can tell you what will happen the problem of of a different unequal experience between black and white australia will perpetuate yeah, That's what will happen, well, and the problems around health, around poor resource distribution, around mismanagement, around weight, all of those things that provoke the voice process, they're not going to go away if no goes through.
0: Well, Albo said it. A vote for no is the road to nowhere. You know, no is the road to nowhere. Yes is the way forward. And it's really that simple. Like, there is no... The No campaign has no plan. Their their plan is to audit the way money is spent. That happens all the time. There is a continual and perpetual office of audit. Like it, it the, this is what eighty percent plus of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have said they want us to do. We we owe it to them to give it a shot. That's why we'll keep campaigning on it. Van, we need to move on because there's a couple more uh, topics we need to discuss.
1: Just tell everyone how cute the dog is.
0: <laughs> He's so tired. He's just out of it. <laughs> He's passed out on your lap. Um, a listener actually wrote to us, uh, and this is this is a, a topic that is difficult, but we I think is worth us discussing, particularly in the context of misinformation and disinformation. Uh, this listener wrote to us about his two young sons uh, who listened to Andrew Tate, and he. They, he tells us that they said to him that he's weird and sexist, but has some good points. Uh, this kind of, and Andrew Tate, of course, is. Uh, I don't know if he's still awaiting trial in Romania. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's a former Big Brother contestant. Yeah. and He's done a bit of kickboxing and and makes YouTube videos soliciting boys, basically, to give him money to listen to his philosophy about how to treat women like garbage and get rich is basically he's running your classic, um, you know, uh, self-improvement guru yeah i can never motivational speaker i can re- never remember what they're called self-help guru kind of snake or salesman. I yeah i mean he said he's he's a quack he's a fraud he's a mountebank
0: but van this raised in in my head when i was reading this email um and thank you for sending this across and if you are a listener you can send us emails we don't get to all of them straight away but we i do try and answer them uh, as quickly as we can um This raised in my mind the current situation with the president of the Spanish Football Association, uh, Rubiales, I think that's how you say his name. Rubiales, I think. Rubiales, um, who... We could both be wrong. Who, in front of a global television audience, non-consensually forced a kiss onto the number 10 player for Spain, Hermoso, uh, and then... Tried to say that it was consensual,
1: yeah, which put, is not what she said.
0: No, she had to put out a statement saying it wasn't. Um, she then they, they he then used his position to try and uh threaten her with legal cases. Uh, at a general meeting, a special general meeting, he basically started chanting, I will not resign, I will not resign. Uh, his mother is on hunger strike.
1: She's locked herself in a church apparently and she's on hunger strike until people stop being mean to her boy. I mean, this is... And he did a press conference with his three daughters present going, how could I possibly be this awful
0: person if my daughters love me? I mean, this is the this is the kind of toxic masculinity that that is really...
1: That feminists talk about and people go, oh, my God, feminists, they're so crazy, they're just making everything up. Yeah. It is it's a real thing. And they're calling it Spain's Me Too moment. I mean, these women have just won the World Cup. Yeah. Right? This is the the biggest thing in the world's most popular game at the largest women's tournament ever. Yeah. The year that people stop seeing men's football and women's football as as superior and inferior, right? We broke through the quality of women's football because money was invested in it, because players fought the hard fight, because players like the Matildas formed strong unions and took industrial action and were paid properly and, Mm. you know, received the support at work to be professional footballers that they deserved on the basis of the quality of their labour and their professionalism the game has changed you know it's amazing if you pay people properly in a professional sport you reach professional standards
0: incredible and i think one of the one of the things that struck me comparing the situations around the kind of andrew tate andrew tate is so hyper individualist it's it's all you know it's all up to you you can do anything you just have to want it more you know, there'll be women in your way who want to take from you. Mm. Women are bad. Well, not just
1: women, but friends, yeah. you know. Like he's got all these weird quotes about, yeah, show me a man with a lot of friends and I'll show you a man who's not getting anywhere. And it's really sad, actually. I went I went on a – I mean, I do try to avoid Andrew Tate yeah. as much as possible because, you know, part of me is sick and part of me is sad but, and a lot of me is very, very angry. Yeah. But he – you know, sort of spits out this get-rich-quick garbage, you want to be like me and, you know, nobody's going to do anything for you, people stab you in the back. And he just comes across as a psychologically broken loser who's saying things to make himself feel better about his pathetic, loveless life.
0: And I think if I was to uh, interpret that in terms of how you would then talk to people uh, who maybe are feeling a bit broken or feeling a bit isolated. (laughs)
1: Point to the president of the Spanish FA who thought he was entirely, you know, he thought he was entitled after these women had done the work to win the world cup had put in i mean one of them um the the striker who scored the winning goal her father was dying yeah. like under unbelievable pressure found out after the game that her father had died you know and doing what the living up to the pressure that we put on professional sports people to mm. be the most disciplined the, you know the mm. most perfect prefer- the best the most skilled all of those things and one man in that situation thought that he could just override the consent of the number 10
0: and i think i think the the contrast between that and the fact that all of the players have said they will not play for spain these are now world champions they will not represent their country if he's in place all of the backroom staff except for the head coach have all quit in solidarity uh, with Homoso. I mean, and
1: football leagues throughout the world coming out, the Norwegian national teams yeah. came out th- today going, yep, this is totally unacceptable, he has got to resign. The,
0: re- the regional presidents in Spain have come out, the deputy prime minister of Spain. I mean, what I would say is that the kind of toxic culture of take what you want, do what you want, be an individual. The opinions of women don't matter. The opinions of women don't matter. um, Just steamroll things. If if other people feel hurt, that's their fault. You know, that is creating a situation where this person will not be able to win this because all of the collective – the community that this person who once held or well, still technically holds a position of authority and influence in, that will go away. And Andrew Tate, for example, is probably going to end up in prison somewhere. Oh, well,
1: I mean, this is the thing. He's probably, I mean, he's up on charges of trafficking. Um, he's faced mm. charges of rape. But like, this is not a person, and, you know, these women who were found by the Romanian police said we are being held against our will. We're being so, forced to do this webcam work.
0: So I think the thing that I want to try and get across here is that the the messaging of um, individualism uh, is 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 the road to nowhere. It's actually through engaging with the collective, you know. Pomoso, through her players' union and the other players standing together, is changing the culture of Spanish football and possibly the culture of Spain by standing together. That is a huge thing. And so, I mean, I would just suggest to anyone who is feeling isolated or alone and sees these kind of messages around, you know, no one have, No one's ever going to look out for you. You've got to look after yourself. Uh, you know, yeah, you get what you can, you don't need friends. And and you know, if you're down and you're feeling a bit out and you're feeling a bit on the outside, that can be appealing, right? Because you can go, oh, well, that kind of resonates. That's that is a short term, and that person is probably going to try and exploit you. And quite frankly, that person is probably not going to be in the position they're in. When they're saying those things for very long, it's by joining the collective. It's by joining your union. It's by getting involved in your community. It's by standing with your teammates. It's by standing.
1: It's it's about finding a team. Yeah, and there's like there's literally always a team to join. This is the thing. I mean, it's it's really interesting, and that that message that we got from a listener was really. Like, I mean, I hear it a lot because obviously I'm out and proud feminist and talk about feministy stuff, critique toxic masculinity all the time. And people do say to me, like, I don't know what to do. My son, one of my students, you know, my brother into this Andrew Tate stuff. And it's like the fundamental question is do you think Andrew Tate's happy? Or look at the people in your life who are happy. And the comparison is pretty stark because the people who are happy are not the ones who've got, like, 19 cars. I mean, who has time to drive 19 cars? Yeah. Like, do you drive one for a minute every day, like 19 of them for – and what about all the tracks? Like, it's kind of ridiculous. The people who you meet in your life who are happiest are the ones who are most socially integrated. You know, the people who are in happy relationships with partners who they consider their equals. The people who like their children and like their parents and trust them and develop good relationships with them. The people who have really good friends who are on teams, whether that team is a football team. Or, or a trade union, or just a really good workplace. Like, life is actually, and this is, isn't this what we learned in the pandemic? We all went mad because we were separated from one another. We are social animals, we like being around people one of the reasons why I think football is the greatest game is of course the one that's played by the largest number of people and when the football is on we are all part of the same thing even if we're barracking for different teams even if our team doesn't make the final you know we are on the same page and that's powerful and transformative that takes us away from ourselves and our you know individual neuroses and and the wounds and the damage that bring us down we are liberal by the collective from our own individual garbage and you have people like Andrew Tate who is let's just go through this one more time facing trafficking charges in Romania yeah. who who gave this big speech about moving to Romania in the first place because you could do what you want to women there. Like a guy who's talking about doing what he wants to women is not in a relationship with a life partner and an equal mm. and someone who will be there when he's poor, when he's broke, when he's sick, when he's frightened, you know, when he's falling apart. You know, he's not interested in doing the things that – Make us feel great as human beings, which mm. is helping people, being there, raising families, being a good friend, mm. you know, coming through for people is actually what makes your life meaningful and makes you happy.
0: And taking responsibility. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, Ruby Alice has not done, right? He's not taken responsibility uh, for his actions. What he did was wrong.
1: What kind of adult man lets his mother go on hunger strike?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, if
1: there's... Oh, I love women. That's why I'm letting my mother lock herself in a church and
0: starve. Yeah, yeah. it's It it boggles the mind. And, look, you know, this, this will continue on because FIFA, as I understand it, has said that he cannot serve in that position. Uh, as I said, the Deputy Prime Minister of Spain has said that this is an untenable situation.
1: Spanish politicians from the left
0: to the hard right have all gone, yeah, man, no. So, look... He should resign, but it does, I think, the heartening thing, I guess, from from my perspective, one of the reasons I love football, is that there has been such a broad community outpouring from right around the world that says this was not okay, what you did was not okay, and now that you're refusing to take responsibility it's for It's actually it, worse. It's actually worse. And you're
1: letting your mother starve herself in a church.
0: And it's not acceptable. So, look, <clears throat> Again, there's there's gonna be more developments on this story. I might be writing
1: about this for The Guardian tomorrow. I may have invented a new word.
0: Just saying I'm gonna give it a red hot go. Check out Van in the Guardian this week for more on that. But we do have to move on because there's another story which probably skated under the radar a little bit because it's an economics story. And I know people think economics is a bit dry, but I do try and jazz it up. And the reason why (laughs) do jazz hands. The reason why (laughs) he did it. (laughs) The reason why I think it's particularly important today is because historically we know that people who are feeling financially and economically comfortable are more likely to support policy propositions that do not directly impact them but may impact someone else
1: are you talking about the voice i'm talking about the voice are you saying that the fact that inflation is falling Yes. May be encouraging Australians to be a little less fearful and therefore less susceptible to intensely negative messages. Because I may have mentioned on the show before from my experience in mm-hmm, media mm-hmm, and campaigning mm-hmm. that people respond to advertising when they're most when they're angry and they're frightened exactly right which is why by the way why news limited employ all of those rage baiting columnists because they make their readers feel angry and frightened
0: so, the, well, this is not the good news. We'll get to the good news in a moment. But some good news on this front is that inflation has dropped to its lowest level in 17 months. Now, this means it's dropped to 4.9%. It peaked at 8.4% around December. You might remember around December, January, February was when the polling for The Voice started to drop, it started to drop quite badly. As the cost of living increased, and people's concern naturally turned to how they were going to pay the bills. The good news is that in July inflation was five point two. In or uh, sorry, in June uh, it was uh, five point two. Uh, so it's gone down. It's continuing to drop. Uh, this is this is really really good news, and it's not just good news in terms of the voice. One of the other things it does is we've talked on this show before about how the RBA and the high priests who magic up uh, the various minutes to justify why they've decided to smash households and small businesses with increased interest costs, do so on the basis of this idea that you've got to have a pool of unemployed workers in order to have low inflation.
1: Karl Marx called it the reserve army of labour this concept like they've been doing this for a while yeah this is their
0: thing yeah this concept is being debunked because by reality by reality by reality in united states the inflation has dropped even further than it has here unemployment economics baby unemployment continues to be low wage growth is now uh matching or going slightly past cpi we're not having the kind of economic reality that the economic um, mystics uh, would have us believe should be occurring, because it's just not real. So even though Deloitte put out a report today saying that they expect unemployment to rise, the RBA said that they'd expected unemployment to rise significantly before we got even down this far to 4.9% inflation. That hasn't occurred. We've gone from 3.5% unemployed to 3.7%. Now, I want to be really clear about this. The outlook is that unemployment will go up because it takes 12 to 18 months for interest rate rises to really flow through the economy, and we had a record number of interest rate rises over the last 12 to 18 months. But we should also just acknowledge that the old orthodoxy of the way monetary theorism works, Friedmanite ideology, uh, the suppression of workers in order to keep wages low through the fear of unemployment and
1: making unemployment punitive to frighten work- workers out of making wage claims.
0: All of these, all of these theories, the Phillips curve. If you don't know what that is? Don't bother looking it up because it's it, wrong. Because it's wrong. The reality. You used to
1: learn it, you know, in the first five minutes of an economics degree, the Phillips curve. Like this is the thing we've been swallowing these orthodoxies that that were not that were based on supposition. I mean, anyone can draw a graph, but if your data is not right, it's not true. And we are living in the reality of data that we now have. We can now monitor transactions, and we have never had so much good information. Mm-hmm. And these suppositions where you used to sort of, you know, if if you don't like these facts, I've got other ones, it's all going out the window. It is. Neoliberalism is a lie.
0: Neoliberalism is a lie, has been a lie, continues to be a lie. And I think increasingly we're going to see, hopefully over the next six weeks, inflation continue to come down. Uh, Even even people like uh, Ernst & Young or EY as they call themselves now are saying that uh, That's so they call, oh my God. I know, they call themselves EY. Hey! You know, they're, they're now saying I'm that. I'm really tired, everyone. They're, they're now saying. I'm really tired. That interest rate increases, further interest rate increases, seem unlikely or unnecessary. And in fact, that there may actually come a point where the interest rates that we have now will have to come down because perhaps. Uh, smashing households uh, for things that were generally about global supply chains, a war in Ukraine. You know, most of Australia's pine for building came from Ukraine uh, prior to the war. Uh, And the fact that we don't have necessarily the skills mix that we need uh, to meet demands in services, that these things are not just uh, about household demand. They are, in fact... Deeper systemic problems, not just in our economy, but in Western economies in general. And in fact, dealing with them as Biden is in the US through targeted interventions in the economy, uh, through training, through getting more people into renewable uh, industries, through shortening supply chains. He's lowering
1: the cost of medication. That was a big announcement in the United States today. 10 of the biggest medications. Mm, mm. Um, he's uh, negotiating on price with the companies directly. And that, of course, changes productivity because if you need pills in order to Function to be a productive member of society, your economic capacity is reduced by the obligation for you to pay. You know these ridiculous commercial rates for them. So the kind of what Bidenomics is is this just targeted relief in sectors of the economy that benefit. The median worker and the median household. Yeah,
0: and look, that's the that's the approach. Quite frankly, that Labor has been taking federally here too, and I think we're going to start to see that pay off. I mean, Biden is in what the is about to start the final twelve months of his first term in office, uh, and it takes a time. It takes time for these things to actually work. It takes time for policies to flow through. Uh, But we're seeing them happen. Uh, You know, there's going to be more announcements about workplace policy. We know that's coming. I think... uh, Tony Burke is giving a big speech this week. You know, we can expect to see more on this. And I think the really good news... And we have to wrestle with the media on it. Quite frankly, Van, we have to wrestle with the media on it because the media narrative is still stuck in the past. There's still people going, Oh, the rate rises have worked, but they may have gone too far, but we won't know that for a while. We can see what's happening in the economy. The issues are around supply, even on the services side. It's the skills mix. That's why Brennan O'Connor's work in the skills portfolio is so important. That's why Jason Clare's work in education is so important. We have to be planning for the future all the time. If you, if you're not thinking about what you're planting, tomorrow, then you're not going to be able to harvest anything come summer.
1: Has everybody met Farmer Ben? This is my husband, Farmer Ben. Yeah, I mean, the future is going to happen in 15 minutes for everyone. Yeah. And not planning. I mean, this is part of the issue with housing, and Ben and I obviously have spoken about housing. We do refer you to the amazing Friendly Geordie's yeah. video on on housing and housing policy called Pyramid Scheme. It is absolutely unmissable it goes for an hour and you will be in no doubt about the way forward after watching that but i mean this is the the problem and you know it's not just australia that's had this problem neoliberal economics that said oh the state shouldn't be involved in building anything and the state should withdraw from the economy i mean that's freedom mm. my way just let the market just let commercial providers into all these spaces well it's complete disaster Mm. and we don't have enough homes for people. In America, they reckon they are 7 million homes short because they haven't been building any because the market was just going to supply everything. There was a really good piece that I shared on my Twitter today about housing policy and about how actually restricting the build of new homes. Like you stop governments from building homes, I say this to Greens and Green Mm. voters because you are stopping the government from building homes, yet actually increasing the power of landlords. Yeah. Because landlords couldn't raise prices because there are not homes for people to move into. And so like it becomes participation becomes based on capacity to pay. You're helping the system that you claim that you are opposed to by your refusal to support a government that wants to build
0: home. Can we just, can we just really get very, very basic? The idea that a free market economics, its fundamental premise is that. All transactions between people are the same as the transactions that you undertake at a farmer's market on a Sunday. That's their basic premise. That is a nonsense. It doesn't take into account power dynamics. It doesn't take into account different starting uh levels in terms of socioeconomic uh position. Or geography. Or geography, or access the to resources. Of the environment. It yes. takes into it t- takes nothing else into account and it assumes that everything is equal. And that you're, the conversation that we can have with our good friends at Bellsprout Bakery about the price of a baguette on a at a Sunday market is the same as that that somebody who's just rocked up to a hospital and needs emergency surgery can have with their surgeon. That's not the same interaction.
1: Yeah. If you're bleeding to death, it's probably not a great time to negotiate on price. But neoliberal economics, like the Friedmanite worldview, I mean, I think I've, I've mm. written about this. I don't know mm. if I've spoken about this on the show, probably. They're opposed to the concept of medical licensing because they were, as far as they were concerned, you know, like doctors provided services in a competitive capitalist market. And if a doctor just like killed people through negligence, then people would just stop going. They'd take their business somewhere else. And it's like, if you see the world that way, quite frankly, you are bananas. Well, you are bonkers. You shouldn't be writing books. You should be sitting in a small room with a professional talking to you about what made you like this.
0: It's also very childish. Like, this is one of the problems that I have with this view, is it's very childish there's a lot, as you said, there's lots of data. There's lots of information that we have access to now. An economy is not a living thing. It's actually the accumulation of millions and millions of transactions between millions and millions of different parties, some of whom are people like you and me, some of whom are massive corporations like BHP and Santos. Or nation states. And some of them are nation, and states. Super nation states. And supranation states. And the idea that all of those things are done equally in the same context as something that happens on a Sunday in a church car park is ridiculous and childish, and it actually is insulting to the intelligence of ordinary people. That's, why I guess, why they use a conbabel right? To make it seem like uh, an ordinary person can't understand it. But if you can understand then an economy is millions of transactions and you've got to aggregate that data and you've got to consider that data and think about what drives that data, then you start to understand that maybe the inflation in services that we saw when lo and behold, we weren't able to bring in temporary migrant labor, lo and behold, the world suddenly needed a lot more nurses because there was a pandemic and there were no more nurses because nobody was training them because we were all trying to source them cheaply, that maybe you can then understand the reason why having some planning and some intervention into the quote-unquote free market is useful because without it, you're left trying to negotiate your medical care when you most need it and are in the most vulnerable position you could possibly be. And I
1: You know, one of the fundamental fallacies of neoliberal economics as well, there's a school of thought called
0: public choice theory,
1: you know, that if you just you that your job is to create the conditions for people to make just superb market decisions in their own interest, that everybody Mm. will make a rational commercial decision. And it's like, so can you can somebody please explain what is rational commercial about the invasion of Ukraine? Like somebody was making this point today that it's just like total madness. Mm. Like, why would Russia invade Ukraine, and, of course, of discourses of nationalism and mm-hmm. Rusky and the rest of it. But somebody was saying, so what if the Russians win? You know, like, unfortunately, that's looking unlikely, but it's the cost of occupation as well. Like the mm. entire population of Ukraine despise them. Is How is that going to be,
0: you know, functioning and productive? But even to bring it back to a more local level, we know because study after study shows us that there is – no, on average, no educational benefit to sending your children to private school as opposed to sending your children to public school.
1: Absolutely not. So, the
0: rational decision is almost always to send your child to a public school. But we know that people don't make that decision. And there's a lot of reasons why they don't. Most of them are rationalizations as after to- the fact as to why their child needs a private school, as to why the public school can't meet their need, whatever it might be. But we know that if you just looked at the data, as the Friedmanites would say we should, then you would choose to go with the public school. It's cheaper. The outcome is the same. On average, you would be better off. But people don't make that choice because that's not how human beings operate. We don't always operate from a rational base. We don't always look at the aggregated data and make a decision based on that.
1: Yeah, they'll welcome us in the streets in Cape. They'll totally welcome us. Yeah, you get three days tops, this invasion, and it'll be great. Russia will be bigger. We'll have all of those wheat fields and all of that pine. Yeah, I mean, it'll be great, right? will not that be great, Yevgeny?
0: Well, look, we should end the show with some good news. um, (laughs) The the Ukrainians are
1: winning. That makes me very happy.
0: But Um, I couldn't find a story about about solar boats, which I know is your preferred form of shipping, but I was able to find a story about wind-powered shipping, van.
1: Yes, I I was very happy you found because Ben has listened to me rattle on about solar boat technology rather more than any loving partner really should have to. It's one of my favourite sort of sources of innovation. So the wind is great and retrofitting wind.
0: Yeah, so this idea is that basically these are large – wing sails wing sails uh, they're around 100, 100 feet 37 metres in height they're added to the deck of commercial vehicles uh, they're expected to generate fuel savings up to 30% on new vessels could be even higher uh, in combination with alternative fuels uh, this is being co-funded by the European Union there's a retrofit solution uh, it semi decarbonizes the existing vessels over half the world's merchant shipping vessels are over nine years old. Like, I, I find that remarkable. Uh, and so we have to have a system for extensive uh, retrofitting. And the International Maritime Organization wants to reduce... Uh, carbon emissions from shipping, which, of course, is mostly done with diesel when it comes to large-scale shipping. I oh, know all about this, bin because of the solar boats. So they want to reduce it by 70% by 2050. So this is a this is one way to do it. And they say that uh the company who's making the wind wings, as they're called, well, it, I find that difficult to say. I don't know why I find that so wind wings. Wind wings. Because you didn't go to drama school. Yeah. Wind wings. Yeah. They say it can save 1.5 tons of fuel per wind wing per day.
1: Oh, and it's really this is where the change is. And I want to do a shout out to my comrade in solar boating. Mm-hmm. And the and who's also a great fan of dirigibles, which are, of course, airships, which I obviously support as well, is your friend and mine, Terry Butler. Yeah. Uh, because Terry Butler is doing heaps of work in the space around looking at, in her post-parliamentary career, mm. she's just been appointed to a new authority that's looking at.
0: Um, how, how to uh, reduce emissions in aerofuel.
1: And when I was really flying the solar boat flag, uh, she was giving speeches about it in Parliament as well. And I'm just really glad that in her post-parliamentary career she's continuing the work that she's doing in this area. Wind wings are great. Retrofitting is great. Shipping is an, is absolutely crucial to the fight to bring down carbon emissions. And the idea that these things are happening and being invested in is
0: fantastic. Absolutely. Speaking of fantastic, Van, our supporters, our fantastic supporters who have pushed us Well above uh, a million downloads, uh, who contact us, who send us messages. Uh, obviously one of our support, one of our uh, listeners contacted us, uh, and has helped us with a story today. Uh, we often get stories from our supporters. This podcast will always be free to listen to, always free to download. We don't make any money from it. We actually quite the opposite, but we do have people who do help us financially to grow the audience every dollar that we receive from supporters goes to growing the audience uh, and getting more people uh, the message. Basically, that's what we do. So you can go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday if you want to be a supporter. You can give once, you can give a buck a week, uh, or you can become an extend-the-reach supporter, give $10 a month, or our cadre who do chip in $20 a month. And we do give shout outs to our card Extend the Reach. And Van does it because she did go to drama school.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to give it a red hot go, guys. But I've got to say, I am exhausted <laughs> and the dog is asleep on my lap and I'm jealous. So thank you for being so patient. I'm sorry I haven't exactly been on my platform. Okay. We're ready. Our cadre, Mega Ichisaurus, Saurus, Shamila Lacal, Ms. Dan, Weirdo Lockery, Steph, Karina Barley, at Jane C. Campbell, Leona Gibbons, and Common at Roskenner 888, Bromwen, Cockington, Terry, Butler, Woo! Jack Powell, Gal Ferguson, Rebecca Fanning for Longman, Matthew Hadley, Column Kelly, Ali Vance, Mary M, Love Your Work, Yeet Yeti, Andy Balden, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akiva Boris, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Atjek Carney, Christine Cole, Bromman, Prunch Trunk Veteran, At Jenny Forster7, Andrew Pasco, Cassandra Tui, In Hampson, No Twitter for Me, Hannah Honda, Matt Bush, Richard Sands, Glenn Robbie, Bresh Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Linda Cartwright, At Leanne Shingles, I do not have Twitter. My name is Susan Myers. At and Ash twenty, Billy Three McCabe, Nerissa Simon at Carrigal, Lauren Nash and banjo, Narongaman, Jason Paris, John Sharp and Peter Barth, Louise Watson also known as Red White and Blue Lou, and her extend the reach supporters are Murray Bardable, Stuart Munn Blagoia, Matthew Case, Marky Mark, at Bid, Adrian Valente, Ms at Carey sixty eight, Frank the House, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lapeno, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, Pauline Bates, and Waspall, Helen Murray, Buzzard sixty two, Janet McCallum, and Jeremy Mo, Rosie Elliot, Lara. Robert Notfield, one Michael Wales, Sanj Kelly, Darina, Donald Thorne, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron Trudragon, Daniel at Crazy Keser, John DeHaan at Ange Pennell, Annie Uren, Melanie Denning, Jodie A, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, S Wood at Didham, Sharon Kelly, Beckenlala, Richard Crever, Someone Vita W, Nandita Hannum. Maury Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham, Oxley, Tracy Lucas, Sandy Honan at Galvest, Greg Martin Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Eliane and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Kew Patterson, Lizette Twistle, Bunker, M- B- Twizzle, Bunker, Twizzle, Bunkum Basher, Katie Ward at The Real Neville Longbody, Sandy Bumgut at uh, Not Sandy B, Renee McGee, Kim Delahay, and someone. And the letters are actually swimming in front of my eyes. I'm very tired.
0: Bam! well done. And, of course, congratulations and thank you to everyone who supports the show. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed episode 148 of The Week on Wednesday. And thank you for the million downloads. It's so exciting. <laughs> Join me on Sunday when I'll do a weekend wrap. I will probably cover in some detail Tony Burke's speech at the Press Club, which is coming tomorrow, Uh, and, of course, the first steps, first tentative steps, now that we have a date, October 14th, for the referendum. We
1: do recommend that you join a union because unionism is great, but also get involved in your local voice campaign. Ben and I had a great morning the other day, even though we were up before the birds were uh, at the train station with our friends just got our friends from the neighborhood together handed out overwhelmingly positive response, a room to build the campaign because when we were campaigning for the yes vote, there were the majority were yes voters, but there were more I don't know anything about it than there were no voters and it's those people we need to talk to. So what are you waiting for? Yes23.org.au, find a campaign group to join. It's a really good way of meeting people and getting involved in things. So why not do that? I've got some good news coming soon as well i'm getting very excited about it um and part of my good news is that i'm going to do another van batten uh in conversation with episode coming out with somebody who i think you already love (laughs) so i'll stay stay tuned for that
0: until then love you Vanny. i love you too i have to go to bed Bye. bye